turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We continue our study through Samuel, and we'll read verses 15 to 22. Verse 15, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants. And they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbenov, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shackles of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai the Hushethite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jair Orgim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We ask that you would open our eyes that we would see him high and lifted up. We ask that you would open our ears that your sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and know him and follow him. And we pray that you would open our hearts that we would offer them to you promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. More Goliaths. The story of David and Goliath, which we studied maybe a year ago now, has been misunderstood and abused in in many ways over the years. It's almost used as a pep rally for the underdog, as though it is simply an inspirational tale to encourage us to overcome our overwhelming challenges. But the point of the story was that David was fit to be king and Saul was not because David trusted the Lord. But another way that David and Goliath is misused is the idea, though we may not say it, that once David beat Goliath, all was smooth sailing. In reality, slaying Goliath was 
only the beginning of trouble for David. It led to Saul's jealous rage and years of David on the run for his life. Now, say we use the story of David and Goliath basically to tell someone, go face whatever giants are in your life and you can win. Well, what then? You know, it's implied that once you face whatever giant is in your life, that things will improve. But if we actually stuck with the story of David, we'd have to say, go face your giant and you will win, and then you will have even more trouble to deal with for the rest of your life. And here... As we draw into the closing pages of the record of the life and reign of King David, we have this brief account of four other giants, or Goliath plus three others. I think it was four others. We'll get to that in a moment. The point the scripture is making here is that there were other Goliaths. David had trouble. He had enemies all his life and all his reign as king of Israel. The enemies never stop coming. But we'll see. The Lord wins. Now let's look at it. First in this passage, we see endless enemies. Endless enemies. Look at verse 16. And Ishi Benov, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shackles of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. Now this giant's spear, you see it, Weighs 300 shekels of bronze. That's smaller than Goliath's spear, but it's bigger than the, far bigger than the average spear. He comes to kill David. In the verse 15 says that David had grown weary in the battle. So Abishai comes to David's aid and he kills the giant. Then the men, David's men, they take an oath. They tell David, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So David, who as a young man slew Goliath, is now weary and needs help. And his men... Tell him, David, it's time for you to retire. Not from being king, but from going to the front. So David has gone from the youthful warrior to the aging king 
Well, then come three more giants. First, Saph. And then lastly, we read of a giant with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in all. The one in the middle is even more interesting than this giant with six fingers, 12 fingers, and 12 toes. Look at verse 19. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gov, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, or Jair, or Jim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, wait a minute. I thought David killed Goliath. Here it says Elhanan killed Goliath. Now, something that big demands that we chase a rabbit for a little bit. First Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 5 is a parallel. And let me read that to you. It says, And there was war, again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, struck down Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. First Chronicles 20 and verse 5 says, Elhanan killed Goliath's brother, Lami. Now here in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 19, it says Elhanan killed Goliath. Well, as uh, far as I know, there's three ways we could solve this little dilemma. The first is we could just say, well, it's a contradiction in the Bible. If you believe that, I hope you will repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior before you die. But even if you have that kind of view of scripture that it's not the inspired word of God just some ancient near eastern editor cobbled together some old folk tales even if you believe that you gotta allow that whoever it was that cut and pasted all this together he knew the story of David and Goliath because he put it in there. It would stand to reason that if someone were putting all this together, he would have cleaned it up a little better than that. And that's an editor's job, clean it up. The idea that an editor collected all this and then didn't bring it all into some kind of conformity is the least plausible explanation from a literary standpoint available. Second way we could resolve this, as many have done, is to suggest that Elhanan is another name for David and Jire is another name for Jesse. That's possible. Sometimes people in Scripture have more than one name. 
But nowhere in Samuel or all of Scripture is, is David called El Hanan, so I doubt it would say that with no explanation. Third explanation is that the original manuscript of Samuel said Lami, the brother of Goliath. But somewhere along the line, a scribe made an honest mistake copying it. He read the description of the shaft of his spear being like a weaver's beam. And in his mind, that triggered Goliath. And he slipped up. That's what I think, for what it's worth. I believe in the full inspiration, authority of Scripture. Don't think there's any errors in what God moved his people to write. That doesn't affect my view of how God inspired it. But the point of this passage, now that I'm done chasing that rabbit, is that David had endless enemies. It wasn't just he beat Goliath and there were no more giants to face. Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. A servant is not above his master. If they hated me, Jesus said, they will hate you. Paul says in the last days, perilous times will come. Things will go from bad to worse. Evil men will get worse and worse. I see several wise ministers in this congregation this morning. When I was a student training to go into ministry, a wise minister that I worked for gave me a piece of advice for being happy in the ministry. No disrespect to the church. I'd be curious, I won't ask them to raise hands or shout amen, but I'd like to know what some of these other wise ministers with some experience under their belt say. He told me that the key to happiness as a minister was to have very low expectations. So what do you say? The key to happiness is to lower your expectations. This is realistic. Jesus says, you will have trouble. Lower your expectations. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're not going away before glory. You know, a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that there's no rest for the weary. The same habits, the same sinful tendencies, desires, they don't go away. They're always with us. 
we can gain the victory, we can say no. Refuse to open the door and let them in, but they never quit knocking. So we see endless enemies. But secondly and finally in this passage, we see that the Lord wins. Look at verse 22. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. You see, the giants never stopped coming. But every one of them fell by the hand of David and his servants. You know, I only quoted you half a verse. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is a picture of how things will always be. Really, it's how they've always been and it's how they always will be. The enemies will never stop coming until Our Lord Jesus Christ comes in victory, but when he comes, the enemies will stop. The last enemy will fall by the great son of David. Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus Christ in his death broke the power of death. Death reigned And holds sway over the human race because of sin. It's the wages of sin. And all have sinned. But Jesus Christ paid the debt. He satisfied the justice we owe that death would no longer have a hold on us. It's fashionable and trendy these days for a minister to quote C.S. Lewis. And I don't like to do anything that's fashionable and trendy. So I'm hesitant to quote C.S. Lewis. Although I like it. I haven't read nearly as much of him as many of my colleagues have, but I know one thing he wrote because I read it to my children. It's from a chapter called Deeper Magic from Beyond the Dawn of Time. 
says when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. That's what Jesus did in his death. He broke the power of the last enemy. He rose again and put it to an open shame. And when he comes, at the last day, all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And the last enemy will be completely destroyed for all eternity. Now, Revelation 19 tells us that in the last judgment, death will give up the dead. Think of that. Death will give up the dead. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Friends, we need realistic expectations in this world. There will be endless enemies. Our own flesh. But Jesus Christ wins. He will destroy all his and our enemies. And we will say for all eternity, death, the last enemy, death, is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.